Welcome to the second episode of Bar Dive. I'm your host, Kayla Anchel. On the last episode, we chatted with Kundin, a San Francisco bartender with 20 years of experience. Kundin spoke about finding a balance between bartending and making art, and also shared her concerns for what the new service industry landscape might look like post-shelter-in-place. With bars and restaurants shuttering even before they're able to reopen, and unemployment at depression-level rates, it seems the name of the game right now is survival, and not new beginnings. It's a particularly harsh environment to try to cultivate a new business. But that's exactly what John, a bartender and restaurateur from Seattle, is planning on doing. He and his business partner signed the lease on their restaurant-slash-bar, The Ballard Cut, in late February, early March. This was right around the time there were news reports on what was believed to be the first COVID-19-related death in the U.S., which happened to be in Washington state. On this episode of Bar Dive, John shares his experience as a seasoned bartender, first-time bar owner, and why he remains optimistic about his business venture, even in the face of uncertainty. So how did you get the nickname Whiskey Jesus? It actually kind of happened in a couple of places at once. One was working at the Whiskey Bar down in Belltown. And so just being affiliated with whiskey in general and then having the long hair and the goatee and whatnot, people always kind of said I kind of look like Jesus. So when people would send me, send guests or like other bartenders, like, oh yeah, go to the Whiskey Bar, look for the guy that looks like Jesus. (laughs) So it also happened at retail when I was working Y World Spirits over in Wallingford because I would work in the back of the store and it was a very large, like 23,000 square foot store. And so when people came in and they had a liquor question, they'd have to send them all the way back to find me. And so, you know, just go find the Jesus looking guy in the back and uh, you'll be all right. Especially because we had two Johns working there for a while. So it's like, which John do you need? Oh, you want whiskey Jesus. Well, and I remember when we were working together, you're also a bit of a whiskey aficionado. I definitely fall into that category for the most part. I usually don't like to say that a whole lot because I think it comes with a certain level of pretension. I just, I, I just like whiskey and, uh, you know, I like learning about it and there's always more to learn and more to try. So the more I can find, the more I try to shove into my brain and see what sticks. Absolutely. I know that now you are moving on to kind of a new big project. You're starting your own restaurant slash bar. Can you tell me a little bit about this new place? So my partner, Tommy and I, we joined forces to, oh, it's going to be the first restaurant for the both of us. I've been bartending for nine or 10 years, somewhere in that realm and working in the liquor industry for about 15. Tommy has been in the restaurant industry since he was 15 himself. So about 20 years. We're relatively young, I feel like for Take going into restaurant ownership, but putting the two of us combined, we have over three decades of experience in the field. So we actually have a lot to draw from. This is kind of nice. What kind of restaurant is it going to be, I guess? Like what kind of food and drinks is there going to be a theme to it? So it's got a very loose theme. We're really not trying to say we do X and we hope everybody wants to come by X because that's what we got. But we are going to be on the fine dining tier of things. So nice place to go have a quality meal. We got a chef that's worked in a number of different cuisine kitchens, French, Italian, Spanish. And we're going to try to bring a lot of those influences in on a frequently rotating menu. We want to focus on a lot of foods 
like from the Ballard market with sustainability from small vendors, things like that. People who give a little bit more focus to, to detail than the bulk grind of a lot of the bigger establishments. So we're, we're kind of calling ourselves new Americana for lack of a better term, but if you can find it, the food in the market, you'll probably find it on our menu. And for the bar, the bar will be a little bit more straightforward. It's going to be a whiskey-focused bar. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're going to focus on bourbon and Japanese whiskey for the most part. Those are going to be our our big strengths. And we actually have a, a few cool hidden gems we're going to have behind the bar to show people that nobody else in Seattle has, which is kind of fun. So was it always your plan to open your own place or has this been like a fairly recent thing? No, it's something that's been in the back of my mind for some time. And I absolutely know it's something that Tommy's been wanting to do for a while. I always kind of wanted to get my own bar kind of specifically. This opportunity that we have with the Ballard Cut is a little bit different than what my initial plans were because the space that we got, we kind of bought everything with it the former owner basically just gave us the key and said have fun i took a few personal affects and said good luck but she had bought an amazing amount of equipment when she opened the restaurant herself which was only two years prior to us acquiring it and she bought high-end all-new kitchen equipment which was just amazing it was all actually pretty well pieced together into the space and so it was a great little restaurant uh, potential it didn't work out well for her, but we're like, man, we can't pass this up. So uh, Tommy teamed up with a uh, chef named Patrick Frank, and he's worked with Patrick in the past. And yeah, Patrick's been a chef in this in and around the Seattle area for about 27 years. We figure we got the great space, with the great kitchen, and all the equipment we could ever dream of, and an amazing chef with lots of multifaceted influences. And we just ran with it. The idea of opening up a bar became opening up a restaurant. And when are you aiming to open? I mean, obviously you can't write at this moment, even if you were ready. Right. So the initial plan was April, May. Uh, that was where it started. Oh, wow. We were in negotiations to acquire the place since last August. We didn't actually manage to acquire the place until March. Right as like COVID was starting to explode and take off, really. Kind of unfortunate timing on that front because it meant that we can't can't really get a lot of contractors out. Getting licenses and permitting, getting inspectors to come out and see the place hasn't really been much of an option. So we decided to kind of take it a little slow and do most of the build-out ourselves. And we actually, our build-out got a little bit more elaborate over time since Tommy and I were in there with a bunch of tools and we would finish up our day at you know one in the morning and one of us would point at something like, what do you think about that over there? That's a weird corner, right? And then we would talk about it for two or three hours before we finally got out of there. So the plan is the, the renovation has definitely grown in scale from, from the start, but we've had the time to do it. And we've learned a lot of how to take care of the place ourselves, how to take everything apart. So it's really given us kind of an intimate attachment to the space, which is kind of nice. But all that being said, We've been trying to now keep the launch date of June 1st. It's getting a little bit down to the wire. We only got a couple of weeks left, but we should be ready for at least a soft open by June 1st. You know, 
places are going to start opening up, it seems. They already have been in other parts of the country, but the coronavirus will still be around. How do you feel opening up basically during a pandemic? Despite whatever experience Tommy and I may have or what any other restaurant tour has, it's a whole new frontier. And so it's going to be interesting to see you know, how many people want to go out, how many people want to sit in a space, how many people are going to want takeout food. Takeout food was not something part of our original plan because uh, we were shooting more towards the fine dining realm of things. So that's definitely changed our plan. Have you seen the guidelines for how restaurants are supposed to open in Washington? I have not. Well, of course, every state's going to be a little bit different. And so what they've established here in Washington is at least a four-phase kind of reintroduction to normalcy. We're in phase one right now. Phase two says that restaurants can open at 50% capacity. And... uh, That's going to last for three weeks until phase three, which then we can go up to 75% capacity. And in phase three, bars can open as well. And then what they just released the day before yesterday was their specific guidelines for restaurants for what we have to do. And this is where it starts to get weird. Nobody's going to be allowed to sit or stand at any bar area. So we have a food bar with an open kitchen and we have a traditional bar. Neither of those are allowed to have people sitting or standing at them. All the tables need to be, the seats at each table need to be six feet apart so that nobody can be seated within that social distance parameter. All employees need to be wearing face masks at all times, including the chef. The worst part is, (laughs) I'm starting to get pessimistic. The worst part is we actually have to log every single patron that enters our establishment. As in, we have to take their temperature when they walk in the front door. We have to get their name, their email address, and their phone number. And we have to keep a log that says, John Smith came into the Ballard Cut at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday. And the whole idea is that if John Smith then later gets diagnosed with coronavirus, they can say, hey, where have you been in the last couple of weeks? He says, oh, I had dinner at the Ballard Cut last Tuesday. They come to us and say, we need to see every patron that was in your establishment on Tuesday. We need to contact them to let them know they were exposed. Wow. There's going to be a lot of patrons that don't want to give their personal information to the hostess as they walk into the restaurant for dinner and things like that. So it'll be curious to see how it works and not having anybody sitting at the bars and having tables six feet apart is going to limit our maximum capacity to like, We were looking at it yesterday and somewhere between 14 and 20 people. And so are you just hoping as restrictions ease and people start going to bars more that you'll be able to kind of like weather that storm for the first couple months? Yeah. I mean, we have to, right? We don't really have a a lot of a choice, but we've been kind of thinking about it in terms of it being like a forced soft open. So traditionally when a new bar or restaurant wants to launch, they would take, you know, a week or two prior to their official launch date and invite friends, family, other restaurant people, uh, industry people, bartenders, things like that. Say, Hey, come, you know, stress test us as it were, come in, let, give us some feedback. Let us know what we're doing wrong. 
let us get through the routine of scheduling, shift changes, working the point of sale, you know, closing out customers, things like that. Getting going through a couple cycles of linens, food deliveries, you know, all the little nuances that should be running seamlessly for an operating restaurant. Usually, the, even the best laid plans, those have hiccups and kinks that need to be modified. And so a soft open is what pretty much everybody does when they open a new space. And now we're just going to kind of say we're open June 1st or whenever we're able to. And we have to have a soft open. It's just how life is going to be. And so it more or less fits into our plan. But we're just kind of looking at it like that to stay optimistic about the prospects. Have you received any government assistance, any loans? Do you still have to pay rent during this whole time? Yes and yes. So, well, kind of. We arranged with our landlord that we're only paying utilities. So we've had two months payments where we pay what's what's called triple net. It takes kind of like your bulk utilities and makes them a solid monthly payment. But with what happened with our landlord, as I said, as long as you pay the triple net, you don't have to pay the actual rent portion, at least not yet. So we've, we've deferred our rent payments. And so we're, we still owe that money to the landlord. And they said that when, once we get open and we have some cash flow in the business, then we'll establish some sort of repayment plan. We did get one government assistance, the Payroll Protection Program, the PPP. It was a little difficult since we were such a brand new company. I left my last job in January, so did you know, Tommy. And so without payroll from the Ballard Cut, we'd be zero income for ourselves. And we can't technically claim unemployment or anything like that either because we are working for ourselves. And so that means that we should be paying ourselves. And so Tommy and I are the only employees for the Ballard Cut. We were able to submit that with our payment schedule for what, the money that we've been taking from business account as payment to ourselves. And so they've given us a little bit of money. It's pretty small compared to what most businesses got, but it's it's something. Have there been any moments throughout this process where you've thought about backing out and not going forward with it? Right before we signed the final paperwork, when we signed the closing papers, COVID was out there. It was a concern and it was like the people talking about the worldwide spread and, and such. This is, you know, late February, early March. When it came down to the wire, we're like, this is our last last chance. Like if this thing's scary, we either pull out now and don't sign this paperwork or we're going for it. And we had already paid, you know, good faith down payments and stuff like that. And we had already done a lot of work for the space. And we're like, nope, we're just going to go through it and we'll see how bad this pandemic idea goes. Of course, it's only gotten worse since then. So long as we aren't in total lockdown through the summer, we we speculate we should be okay. Best guess, given your experience as a bartender, as a new bar owner, just in the the industry overall, what do you think the future of bars and restaurants in Seattle is going to look like? It's going to get turned on its head. I think people are going to be kind of surprised at how many establishments are not going to survive this. The problem is most businesses, say a restaurant, if you have to only run at 50% capacity, how many businesses 
have a business model that allows only 50% of their income and still survive as a company? And the answer is not many. And so the question is, how long do these phases get drawn out? Uh, and so even though, yes, we're, the restaurant industry is starting to kick back in, it's still we're still going to see closures. We're still going to see people shuttering their doors. Uh, and it'll also take for a lot of restaurants, you know, a couple of weeks to get the supply chains running again, uh, to get their employees back if they had to, if they lost employees. Uh, it's going to be crazy. It's not like June 1st doors are open and things are kind of gravy again. It's it's going to be a painful process coming back. So a lot of places already closed. A lot of places are still going to close. And I know as far as downtown Seattle, uh, anywhere near the downtown area, it's even scarier because the future prospects are how many people are going to be downtown after this, you know, uh, say you have a restaurant in South Lake union that feeds on Amazon. How many Amazon employees are actually going to start going back to Amazon campus, even after all COVID's over. I mean, how many people are going to work remotely from home exclusively for three, you know, six months or what have you. And just be like, you know what, this is what my job is now. I work from home now. I don't need to go into your office and whatever. So the amount of potential patrons just all around downtown is going to get cut dramatically. What do you think it is that has not only kept you in the industry as long as you've been in it, but also is allowing you to continue on with this really amazing project with all this uncertainty right now in the world? Well, it's always hard because there's always uncertainty but <laughs> with any new new avenue. But so this restaurant ownership thing is is going to be a completely new experience no matter what. And so maybe maybe it's naive. Maybe I'm not as scared as I should be. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I'm optimistic in the sense that if there is a lot of closures around the area, then that means that my you know, shiny new penny on on the block might get a little extra attention. So there there are some ways that I could personally benefit from all this as far as getting the restaurant on its own legs and getting it running it and all that. And like I said, maybe that's naivete. Maybe it's me just being optimistic. Not entirely sure. But I do love the industry. I like working with people, working in the public. I've worked retail and things and that's usually less glamorous than even most people assume it is but when people go out to a restaurant they're generally in a good mood they like to chat with the bartender they're having a good time so i've made a lot of friends in the industry both on the employee staffing side and as patrons uh, yourself included it's a really fun atmosphere to immerse yourself in and to build a living off of and they always say if you can enjoy what you do for a living then you're not working at all. Well, that's that's the goal, right? And so I do really love the industry, and I'm kind of putting all my eggs in this basket for for this restaurant. So the the uncertainty on the horizon is interesting, but I don't think it's insurmountable. Are you planning on bartending any shifts when you open? Absolutely, I'll be leading the bar program very specifically at the at the restaurant. So chef will be leading the food program. I'll be leading the bar program. My partner, Tommy, is going to be the guy that ties everything together and be the general manager. So he's going to oversee the entire operations and then staffing and all the logistics of 
running the business and making sure that the two heads of the dragon played well together, the bar and the food. I am a relatively new dad, so I won't be full time there. Hopefully we'll, we'll see, but I'm anticipating working the busier nights, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday as a bartender and then maybe, you know, a few hours during the week for some logistics stuff. But then Tommy's going to be the, the iron horse running the show for the most part. What do you wish people who don't work in the service industry knew? I've always kind of giggled at the idea that, you know, everybody should work in the service industry at some point in their lives. You get to experience and learn that there are so many different people out there with so many different opinions and viewpoints and way they expect things to go. I think it kind of gives you an exposure to the the wide array of individuality that's out there whereas you know we hear about on the internet people are in their own little little bubbles and clusters and it becomes like a feedback loop you only uh, consume the media that is tilted towards your own personal bias anyway so that you agree with it and it just kind of runs away with itself and so people don't get this exposure to other ideas and other ways of life if you're working in the service industry you are forced to you meet people of all walks of life, you know, neighborhood folk, business folk, people touring on vacation and all sorts of age groups, ethnicities, everything. And the goal is to give each one of them a good experience and to, you know, bond with them on a very low key level. You know, somebody comes in and sits at your bar, you're going to make a short term relationship with them for the hour two, four, whatever they happen to be there. And you want them to enjoy your presence and, Ideally, you like to enjoy theirs, and then they have a good experience and they go about their merry way. And so the more people you're exposed to, the more you learn to kind of accept and just kind of roll with, okay, my initial impressions of a given situation or my ideas and things or my viewpoints or opinions or whatever, those very much are mine. And there's a lot of options out there. There's a lot of colors in the rainbow. So if everybody could work in the service industry for a year or two of their lives, I think it might actually alleviate a lot of social tensions out there and on the societal level because too many people keep themselves closed off to only surrounding themselves with people who you know mirror their own sentimentality. Very well said. And I think particularly now when there is so much isolation going on, it seems even more important to, you know, kind of have some understanding and empathy for people that aren't like ourselves. Hopefully when people come out, they realize that isolation has had an effect and it makes it a little bit more, it kind of puts it in the spotlight. So it can be identified and talked about and be like, okay, maybe I should try some new things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Try some new whiskeys, which actually Brings me to my last question. Do you have any whiskey recommendations for us? I'm looking for maybe a bourbon recommendation. Okay. Kind of depends on what you're looking for. Like if you just want like a casual, easy drinking whiskey that you could find lots of places, or if you're looking for something, you know, like a special occasion whiskey, or if you like to mix most of the time, or if you just want to sip on it. How about a... Quarantine sipping whiskey. A quarantine sipping whiskey. I've actually always been kind of partial to Woodford Reserve. Big company, big name kind of behind it. It's easy drinking. It's got just like a little bit of fruitiness to it. It's very smooth and you can find it 
damn near everywhere. Every grocery store is going to have it. It's not crazy expensive, you know. I'm going to scare the rest of the country when I'm going to say it's, it's usually in like the 30 to $35 round and they're going to be like, what? <laughs> but welcome to Washington. We're probably the most expensive liquor state in the country. But so that's our reality. But when I'm saving some money, if you can find it, the Evan Williams bonded hundred proof whiskey is usually in the like 15, $16 realm. It's a fantastic drinking whiskey. It's got a little bit of bite to it. And it's really cheap, but it's hard to find. So if you have a good local liquor store near you, make friends with them and say, hey, can you get the bonded Evan Williams? Because uh, if you start carrying it, I'll come in and I'll pick it up on the regular. And I think most people will be pleasantly surprised with how good that whiskey is for the price. Thanks, John, for taking the time out of your build to chat with us. If you live in the Seattle area, be sure to check out the Ballard Cut when they open on June 1st. You can also follow John and Tommy's progress on their Instagram page, at the Ballard Cut. And while you're on there, check out our Instagram page at Bar Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Anchel. Sound engineering for this episode of Bar Dive by Jason Sosoyev. If you're someone that works in the bar service industry and would like to speak about your experience, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at bardivepodcast at gmail.com. Before we go, in honor of Whiskey Jesus, here's an easy classic cocktail you may not have heard about. The Boulevardier. It's like a Negroni, but with whiskey. One ounce each whiskey, sweet vermouth, and Campari. Stir and strain into a fresh glass with ice, and then garnish with an orange peel. Cheers! Cheers!